Hello, and thank you for joining us. My name is Molly Carmichael with Zonda's Inspirational Leadership Series, joined by the industry's best in all things real estate. These leaders are literally designing our future for many generations to come with new communities, home designs, technology, retail centers, infrastructure, and so much more. This series is about who they are, how they got started, who inspired them, and their journey to the top. So let's get started. I, I told you at the beginning, you were, you were going to get the real story uh, today of, uh, of Tommy <laughs> Beetle. So you just heard it from him. You're going to hear it all from Tommy today and be sure to listen to the very end. That's, that's literally where his quote came from because there's so many great parts to the story, but a little history about the company and Tommy first. Thomas James Homes is a young and thriving company that just started in 2012. It's got a very unique model, a brilliant leader, and definitely a, a terrific team too. Their numbers are strong with over 700 future closings, all in AAA locations with an average selling price of over $3 million. Yes, that's over $2 million in revenue. So just to translate, that's equivalent to 7,000 homes at a purchase price of $300,000. So again, you're going to hear it. It's a great story. So let's hear more from Tommy about his career, where he started, and what it truly takes to be an inspirational leader today. So please welcome Tommy Beetle. So Tommy, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Tommy is the Chief Executive Officer for Thomas James Homes, and we appreciate having you today. And we're going to talk a little bit about you and the company and and all things uh you guys are doing something special and and different out there and so i think the audience listening today will be really interested great thank you for having me molly of course well first we're going to start out with i i love the most simplest of questions which is you know what do you do <laughs> <laughs> what do we do uh i think we make a difference in people's lives by uh, creating beautiful homes in the places where they really want to live. Uh, so Thomas James, we're the largest uh, single lot teardown home builder uh, in the country, where what we do is we buy an old home, 80, 90 years old on average, uh, tear it down and build a new one in its place in some of the best neighborhoods uh, in the best markets in the country. So when you say best neighborhoods, give them a couple of examples, like in, in Los Angeles, as an example. Yeah, so in Los Angeles, we're in Santa Monica, Manhattan Beach, <laughs> uh, Brentwood, Pacific Palisades, where, you know, there is no land to build housing. If you think about um, the Silicon Valley, we're in San Jose, Cupertino, Palo Alto, Menlo Park, uh, infill single lot neighborhoods where the homes were built, uh, you know, 80 years ago. In Denver, we're in Cherry Creek. In Phoenix, we're in Arcadia, Paradise Valley. In uh, Seattle, we're in Bellevue, Medina, Kirkland, um, Ballard, Ravenna, Northeast, Northwest, Queen Anne, Magnolia, all the great neighborhoods of these fantastic cities. So for all of you who are out there saying, I would love to live in this location if only they had new, you're going to want to start looking for Thomas James Holmes because that's exactly what they do is all of those, I call them AAA locations. Uh, that you wished you could find new, but instead you're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars of remodeling your home. <laughs> instead, you can spend that and get a brand new home. That's kind of what they do. Well, let me ask you, Tommy, what do you do? What is your role with the company? And, and what specifically, if you were to say my role is, what do I do? What do you do? 
So my role of the company, I'm the founder and CEO of the company. I started this business uh, 16 years ago now. And uh, so I leave, lead overall strategic uh, efforts of the company um, around where we are, uh, what we build, how we service our employees, our subcontractors, our real estate agents, and ultimately our, our customers. We, my job is to create and drive the strategic vision of how we serve all stakeholders uh, that are required to operate uh, in our business model. Um, so uh, that, that's what I do. I, I, get, the, I get the privilege to uh, create great housing, uh, which, you know, as we all know, home building is a people business. And I get the ability to make an impact on people, uh, not just the customers, but all the people required to build homes. Let me ask you this. Um, I, I know the story a little bit, but I, I find it really fascinating. Let's go back to when you really entered into the business. How did you get into the business? So if we step back even further than that, I started in the real estate business when I was 21 years old, got my real estate license and went into the mortgage uh, business in 2001. Um, so <clears throat> started in the mortgage business and uh, as mortgages came uh, to a tail end, uh, I got into buying distressed real estate in 2008. Uh, and so we were a large foreclosure buyer. Thomas James Holmes originally was a large foreclosure buyer at the Los Angeles County auctions, uh, did hundreds and hundreds of homes. Uh, at the LA County foreclosure auctions from 2008 until 2012. Uh, through this process, what I had found in mortgages and in uh, buying distressed real estate is they were very opportunistic businesses dependent upon a market dynamic that was a finite period of time for that market dynamic. So the mortgage business was, was great when the refinance boom was happening, but mortgages are very cyclical uh, dependent on rates. Uh, the foreclosure business, the same, uh, you know, was dependent on distress in the market. We knew that it was a finite period of time where that distress had to be worked uh, through the market. But through buying foreclosures, what happened in buying in Los Angeles uh, is we got ingrained with the real estate agent community on the west side of Los Angeles. So our real specialty at the LA, at, at the LA County foreclosures was the high end of real estate on the west side of Los Angeles. And what I saw in those four years was not just working through the distress, but how there was really a scarcity of quality product in the market. These neighborhoods in the west side of Los Angeles, you know, we think of from Redondo Beach to Pacific Palisades and from the ocean to Century City. That's our swath of land that we, uh, you know, work in. And in those neighborhoods, the housing is 80 years old on average. There's hundreds of thousands of homes that are functionally obsolete and need to, need to be torn down or major remodels done to them. And what I saw was a permanence of a business uh, not dependent on a market time or a market cycle happening. <clears throat> Old homes need to be created into new homes. Small homes need to be built into bigger homes. And that is what really born uh, what is Thomas James Homes today, uh, where we go in and we buy a small home in the best neighborhood we tear it down and usually double, if not triple, the size of that square footage uh, on that home. I mean, teardowns happen across the country, right? That teardowns is not anything new that Thomas James created. What we have figured out how to do is do teardowns in scale in the best markets uh, in the country. So that's kind of the progression of how, uh, you know, I got into this business. And what we saw was this dynamic that existed in L.A., didn't just exist in these neighborhoods of LA, but this dynamic of scarcity of quality product uh, in these markets and the inability to build new product because of the scarcity of land in these same markets um, existed not just in LA, 
but in major markets across the country. Um, and that's what's really exciting is the business is not dependent upon a time uh, in the market or a cycle in the market. The business fundamentally, we are redeveloping housing in a landlocked or a land-starved market uh, and creating housing where there is no quality new housing and not the ability to create that quality new housing in scale in these markets. So Tommy, so let me understand that. So as you're going into these specific neighborhoods, are you doing sort of one-offs or how many homes in those areas are you able to, to purchase and then have that going in? And how do you get scale in that? Is this just a couple of homes a year or how many homes a year are we talking about in these AAA locations? Yeah, no, it's a great question, Molly. In these AAA locations, we're talking again, in Los Angeles, there's hundreds of thousands of homes that need to be torn down in the neighborhoods that we work in. There's massive supply. And so what we're doing is we're coming in and finding that location where the home is underbuilt and doing a volume of supply that allows us to have an operation engine in that market. So we're doing uh, you know, 50 to 100 homes per year in each market. Um, and is and, it massive supply or massive opportunity? Because your, your competition, there has to be very little, correct? So when I think of massive supply, I think of massive supply of land input. I got right? you. Okay. That makes sense. That makes total sense. It's supply of land with demand from a customer, right? Um, and so, and, and scarcity of product in, in that market. So when I think of supply, I'm talking supply of land opportunity uh, long term. Uh, there's not supply just sitting out there. Uh, you know, these homes don't cycle uh, all the time. Um, and so there's a supply of opportunity in the market uh, and, a, and a massive demand from the customer. So, so going back, so you, you started out in mortgage, you started buying foreclosures, you realized there was an opportunity in these AAA locations. So how did you bridge from being a mortgage person to then saying, hey, I think I'm gonna be a home builder. How'd you get to that? Uh, so <laughs> I don't think I'm a mortgage person or I'm a home builder, I think what I am is a math person. And so I understand math problems. Uh, I agree well. with that. You are brilliant with math. Thank you. Totally so agree I, with that. I understand a math equation. And what I understand with math is when you can find an opportunity that scales with a math problem that works at market value, there's a business, right? And so when I looked at the mortgage business, if I just you know kind of correlate where the where the opportunities were when I was doing mortgages, our cost per acquisition of a customer was under seven hundred dollars per customer. Our average revenue was thirteen thousand dollars per customer, and there are millions of customers in a TAM. That's a business opportunity to do, and if you can provide that service at market value by providing great interest rates to help people refinance and finance their homes, and there is that scale of margin or the math problem that works, you grow a business around it, right? When we got into the foreclosure business, it was the same piece. The, the banks were selling homes, 35% off market value. <laughs> and in Los Angeles County, there were over 4,000 homes a day that were set for foreclosure. There's inefficiencies wow. in a massive market. And that margin was there, the math problem worked. So you take advantage of the math problem. When you can show a math problem to an investor, they will give you money to solve the math problem. And so that's what I've really, I think what I have, have been able to do 
And now why I find myself that I'm a home builder is it's a math problem that works in perpetuity. It'll never stop working. But so going from literally buying the home to then constructing the home and having the expertise to do, do I do a teardown? Do I just fix it up? You know, how did you get to the model you're at today where it was, no, really the right way to do this is we're going to do a teardown and give them physically a brand new home. And, and I want to note for anybody listening to this, Tommy is more than a math guy. He has probably the best eye on design and some of the things the typical math guy just doesn't have. <laughs> but we're going to come back, but we'll, we'll come back to that. But how did you get to like, no, I mean, I can see this because clearly you'd have to see that the average respectfully, sorry, finance guys out there would be like, yeah, just let's replace the carpet and let's get this done. I mean, how did you get to the model you have, which is brand new houses? So that's what I was, was the remodel during foreclosures. What was happening during the foreclosure boom is you were getting paid a premium for delivering a quality product to the market. So we would come in and buy these old homes. We'd put new kitchens, new bathrooms, paint, carpet. We were more than just a paint and carpet. We were a full-blown remodel, new windows, new roof, make a great house that people will pay. And they were paying a premium because between 2008 and 2012, you have two options of housing to buy. And one there was plenty of, and one there was scarcity of. And if you can supply scarcity, you get paid a premium. The, sure. the oversupply of product was REOs, short sales, foreclosures, which were rundown homes that needed work. So we created this scarcity of a great product with construction efforts. And, and, and I got to give credit. You know, I, I watch what other people do. And when I see a business that works, I just, and it's scalable, I just copy it and do it over and over. So a friend of mine named Gil uh, was buying homes at the foreclosure sales through me at the, at the auctions in LA County. He was buying in the Valley. So he was buying in Sherman Oaks and Encino. Um, and I could never understand how he was paying the numbers for these houses in these neighborhoods. Uh, and it, it was fine because we were just the conduit and wholesaling these properties to him and making our fee. And I finally asked him one day because I felt risk that I was buying this and I was going to get stuck with it. and He wasn't going to buy it from me. And I said, you got to tell me what the value is here and what I'm missing. Um, and he said, Tommy, you, you realize I'm not buying the house, right? I said, well, that's all there's there. He said, no, you're missing it. There's land sitting underneath the house. I, okay, great. What are you going to do with the land? Well, I build a new house. Yeah, but how do you know what you're going to build? He's like, I know exactly what I'm allowed to build. And I know exactly what it costs to build. He said, when you guys do these remodels and you get into it, you don't know if it needs a new foundation. You don't know if it needs a new sewer pipe. He said, so you run with these $60, $70 a foot budgets to remodel. And it either comes in at budget or it wildly exceeds the budget. He said, I can tell you, and this was, mind you, this was 12 years ago. He, he said, uh, when I say it's going to cost me $200 a foot to build a luxury home, at the end of it, I spend $200 a foot to build that home. And that's really difficult to achieve 200 a square foot in a luxury home, unless you're doing it, you know, multiple homes at a time, right? So the scale helps you to get those kinds of directs because custom could be as high as 450 to 1,000 a square foot, especially yeah, in some of these neighborhoods. And, and again, that's why I quantify this was 12 years ago. 200 right. a foot is right. not even achievable today. Um, but what, what the point was that he said, I know my cost. To me, that's predictable. Like when you can buy something, knowing what it's worth, knowing what your costs are, 
then you can predictably buy the land for predictable margins in the business, right? And so Gil kind of opened my eyes to this. And I said, why am I remodeling? Because he's absolutely right. We're either on budget or wildly over budget. We're never under budget. And <laughs> which means you're not predictable on all of your deals. And over here, you can build a scarcer product in the market because there are no new homes. And when I saw this, this, this kind of light bulb went off and we completely pivoted the business nine years ago. And so we're no longer remodeling homes. We're gonna buy old homes, tear them down and build new ones and deliver predictability of margin. And so, you know, and when I say, I see a business, I see an opportunity, I see where the math problem works and then I see scale. And what do you do when you see the math problem that works in scale? You go raise money to solve it in scale in, in the marketplace. Uh, and so that's what, I, that's what we really did. Uh, over the last number of years is raise uh, a lot of um, private equity investment in order to scale uh, this problem uh, where you can go in and buy that home and build a new one in the marketplace. Well, and I've lived through four remodels. Not one of them was predictable. And you can ask my husband, not one of them was easy either. <laughs> yeah. So I completely agree with everything you're saying. So just kind of you know, working with you over time and seeing how your brain works because it's constantly going. Uh, I I need to ask you, uh, going back to when you were young, when you were a kid, uh, what were the things that, you know, you know, what did you want to be when you were eight? Like, what made you tick and and what were you passionate about as a as a young Tommy? I was passionate about making money and even figuring at, out even at like eight at eight. <laughs> well, it was even before eight. Probably. I mean, if, if I'm being honest, my, my mom would tell you that I had a bread business when I was four. Oh, uh, that is hilarious. I used to make homemade bread, fresh grind wheat, and deliver fresh hot bread on Saturday mornings in our neighborhood. And I would make eight loaves of bread a week, and I would make $5 of bread. And my mom taught me, I think, a very valuable lesson. I would sell eight loaves of bread for a dollar a loaf. And at the end of it, she would say, okay, you owe me $3. And I said, why do I owe you $3? And she said, it's called cost of goods sold. There was wheat, there was water, you used my oven, you used my pans, you used the gas to heat the oven. And I gave my mom $3 every week out of my $8. And I would make this $5. And, you know, that that started when I was four years old. Uh, that when, is I was awesome. a teenager, when I was a teenager, we lived in, uh, we lived in Palmdale, uh, for, you know, a, a county, uh, you know, a, a city north of Los Angeles uh, County. Uh, during the early 90s when the housing boom was crazy in Palmdale. They built hundreds of thousands of homes up there. Um, and we lived at the end of a neighborhood of brand new housing tracks. And when they were building housing across the street from us, when I was 12 years old, we sold sodas to the construction workers at the housing developments, me and my brothers. Um, and, um, you know, it got to the point where I became the funding of the sodas and my brothers were the sellers of the sodas. And, uh, and so, um, yes, it was that I, from a young age, I've always thought, you know, how do, how do I uh, make money with a, you know, a displaced opportunity in the market? At four? At four. I wow. ran a business at four. Okay, so um, you went from bread to sodas and then take me where you went next. Uh, so then I, you know, then I got really focused in, in, uh, in school and, uh, you know, I got into the restaurant business when I was 15, uh, I worked at Red Lobster. I was a host at Red Lobster and found my way through all positions in the restaurant business from back of the house, cooking to waiting tables and tending bar, uh, went away to school, uh, staying in the restaurant business, um, and kind of found, 
you know, what I found in the restaurant business is I was self-employed. Uh, they gave me an opportunity to be personable, take care of people. And the better I took care of these people, the more tips they left. The more I upsold liquor and food, the bigger the bill, the higher the tips. I was functionally self-employed in an environment where I didn't have to have any investment into the business. Uh, that's how I viewed being a waiter. Um, and um, so from there, I, you know, I went from, from waiting tables um, and uh, to then I, that's when I got into the mortgage business. And I, I never forget it was my dad who had called my cousin and was refinancing his home and said, hey, do you think that's something Tommy could do? Because he's just waiting tables and he's going to get stuck in restaurant management. Uh, thinking that that's, you know, the end all. Uh, and my cousin said, yeah, have him come meet with me. I met with my cousin and he told me, get a license and get experience and I'll give you a job. Uh, two years later, when I, I started with my cousin's company, when, he, when there were eight of us total, uh, two years later, uh, there were 97 people working for the company that works for me. Uh, so we wow. had grown this mortgage business from Southern California. We were licensed in 16 states across the country. I uh, had my real estate license in Florida and Virginia and Washington and Arizona so that we could do mortgages as a business. And that's how we, you know, that's where I really had grown a platform. Uh, and, you know, same thing, it was self-employed. The more loans I did, the more people I took care of, the more problems I solved for a consumer, the, the, the larger business that I had created in, in the mortgage space. And let me ask you this, what do you, like, if you were to narrow it down to, I'm going to just pick three, but you can pick however many you want. What do you think were the key things for you to be successful, whether you were four years old selling bread, <laughs> having your brothers uh, work for you as salespeople with sodas, <laughs> whatever the business you've been in, what do you think the key things have been to your success? Because you've clearly found success in everything you've done. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think the key thing um, was how to take care of people and how to make an impact on other people. Um, so, you know, the... If I go back to bread, and I see it now because my boys started a bread business four years ago um, because they wanted to figure out how to make money, and they said, "How did you do it?" And I watch, and it brings me back these memories from when I was a kid. Uh, it was that um, older lady that lived in a home by herself that waited for me every Saturday morning to bring her bread. Oh, I would. I'd buy bread from a four-year-old all day long. I'd probably pay five times as much for it too. Of course, and. Uh, they like these relationships with these people over bread, right? Um, oh, the, and then, you know, how does that translate into home building today, right? I mean, I, I see the impact that we have on so many different people in housing. Um, yes. You know, I think so many times in housing, we think just about the customer, which don't get me wrong, the customer is so important, but in order to impact that customer, there are so many other stakeholders that you have to have an impact on. Mm -hmm. There's the subcontractor. Who, the laborer that shows up on that job site that builds that home quality so these people can count on it. If you don't embrace them, you can't serve your customer. In our business, right. when we, what we buy, Molly, we buy old homes in a neighborhood. When we're doing that, we're impacting a seller of a home that's lived there for a number of years or their kids who had inherited the home or somebody who's having a family change and now they have grown, you know, another kid on the way and they have to sell this small home to get into a bigger one. We're impacting these sellers by paying them what their home is worth for the land that sits underneath it and being consistent and reliable to it. I'll never forget what a real estate agent told me a number of years ago. They said, I need you to perform for my customer who's the seller. And I need you to put up your deposit. I need you to close on time. 
and make my job as a real estate agent easy on the customer. And when you think of this service mentality towards the people that it takes to impact this business of teardown homes, um, that I think is where, you know, I tie this correlation back to, you know, being four years old is the impact that you have on these people, real estate agents. Uh, we do so much with realtors because when those people sell their home, they don't call Thomas James and say, let me sell my land. They think, let me call a realtor to sell my home. So we need to be a service to that realtor, which means what? Pay market commissions. Don't take advantage of brokers. Don't take advantage of anybody in the market. Uh, and so that's really, you know, how do you impact people's lives? Uh, and I think we do that through housing. Uh, and it's all of these constituents that it takes to impact those people through housing. And then finally, to my employees, like we couldn't do this with the 400, without the 400 people at Thomas James that interact with the consultants and the architects and the contractors and the customers and the accountants. Like, you know, it's, it's funny, I was talking to an accountant in, in uh, our offices in Elisa Viejo last week and they said, yeah, I, I, I don't build houses. And I said, but you do. Like if you didn't pay the contractors, they don't show up to build the homes, like everybody has a part of building that home right. and impacting the people in it. And so that's how I've always thought about, uh, you know, housing is, again, it's such a people business. And you look at the vast amount of stakeholders uh, that it requires to deliver that home to a customer, that sanctuary that those people want to live in. Um, and it's not just a sanctuary for those people that buy from us, all of those stakeholders along the way they all want their own sanctuary as well. They want the confidence of a home and a job and that they can provide for their families. I mean, you know, one of my proudest moments on their forget. And this contractor used to work for us in Southern California is now in Washington, moved his family and his business to Washington as we grew into the Seattle market. But he showed me about six years ago, he pulls me aside at the job site and he said, let me show you the home that you helped my family build. And it was this pride from this contractor flipping through pictures of a home that he lived in and he's a finished carpenter and like all of these constituents it takes creating that that sanctuary for every one of them to create a business that's incredible that's incredible um <clears throat> as you look back over over the times your first year how many homes did you build and how long did you know where are you at today and and if you could share what you think the turning point was in getting to where like, wow, I think we really could make this a big business. Um, a little bit about that. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know if I have the exact numbers. I mean, I can tell you where we are today I and where, where it yeah. felt like, you know, you know um, a number of years ago, in we were only in Los Angeles. It felt like we were doing about 50, 60 homes a year. And that's uh, a lot in that yeah. business. In fact, I, I know you're a big part of Builder 100, and I, I love telling this story. I was at Builder 100 six years ago uh, in Dana Point, um, and I met this builder from the Carolinas. And we were comparing how did our year finish out for whatever year it was, 2016. And uh, he told me, you know, I, I had my record year. He said we eclipsed $200 million worth of homes. And uh, I said, you know, it's, I said, it's funny. We did the exact same thing. Uh, and I said, how many units did it take you? And it was something like 1,100 homes to break $200 million, which means his you know, sales price were under $200,000 a piece. And he said, he said, that's a, I said, that's amazing. I mean, I can't imagine building 1,100 homes a year. And he turns and he says, well, how many homes did it take you to do 
$200 million. And I said, we did 64. And he was like, what? I mean, that number sticks in my head. And so that was six years ago, we were delivering uh, 64 homes a year. Uh, today, we have over 700 units uh, in development uh, in each one of those, across those five uh, marketplaces. And I think the turning point of that um, was the ability to operate capital in scale in a disparate, single lot, non-contiguous basis. Um, and we built a system, we've built a, a platform that enables us to operate in scale one home at a time. Um, Just to provide some context to that, of the 700 homes, if you were to estimate the average ASP or average sales price? Yeah, our average sales price is probably, you know, plus or minus $3 million. So think about that. I mean, that's, that's some serious revenue. Thank Unbelievable. You. So when we saw that ability to operate capital and scale, and then capital will invest in the business. And so really the turning point uh, was when Oak Tree uh, Capital made an investment in the platform uh, a little over four years ago uh, to really grow and scale this enterprise out of Southern California and take this system that we had built and expand it into other markets. So you went from 64 homes a year to 700 in a period of six years. Correct. That's impressive. What were the, the key ways to making that happen, that kind of growth happen? Because that's exceptional. And uh, what were some lessons learned kind of in that process too? Well, again, I come back to the, the keys was people. Um, sure. you, know, you, you can't have, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, you can't growing have, that team fast enough, right? Absolutely. I mean, we, we went from 40 employees six years ago to 400 employees um, today. Okay. Uh, so to add that kind of, you know, people around this organization, uh, to, to then take those people and grow the outside people around the organization, the real estate agents, the sellers, the subcontractors, the professionals, the architects, engineers, et cetera. So, sure. you know, those, all those people um, is what really is, has, has led to our success um, to be able to grow. Um, learning lessons, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. I, I think the number one learning lesson I've had is stay in the fairway. So I'm an awful golfer. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm awful, but I love to get out there and have fun. And my best is when I go get to one of these fantastic courses, a friend of mine takes me to uh, a course and there's a caddy. And I, I love having a caddy, not because I'm any good, but because he says, hit your seven iron. Because he's watched <laughs> me hit my seven iron. And I think the learning lessons we've had is when I pull out my driver because I think I can drive the green and I can't. And what we really have, have done is how we stay hitting a seven iron and stay down the middle of the fairway and do what we do predictably, right? Uh, when you can look at a product and say, I know what it costs to build. I know what it's worth when I sell it. I know what my margin goal is. That's predictable. And you do that predictable predictability through replicability, right? So doing the same process, we've functionally brought production home building to an infill single lot business. That's fantastic. So let me ask you this. What do you do with your free time? Uh, so my free time. What's um, the fun stuff? <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, what free time? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I would say that, uh, you know, I, so I have two boys. Uh, and, and my wife, Brandy, uh, who are, you know, huge supporters of me. Uh, my younger son is 10. My older son is, is 13. 
Um, I would say the free time that I have is spending time with them, uh, being at kids' sporting events, seeing them, you know, play sports at school. Uh, we like to get out on the water, um, you know, get down to the beach. But any free time I have is really to be with my wife and my boys. We love to travel together uh, as a family. Uh, and, um, you know, so anything we can do, uh, spending time together uh, as a family with friends, um, that, that's where I spend uh, and any free time that I'm able to get. Let me ask you this, with, with all that you've done, growing the business as fast as you've grown it, uh, with a young family, and, and we all know how important that is, how do you keep the balance? How do you priority. keep the balance sane? You prioritize, you know? You prioritize, you be efficient with the time, um, and you surround yourself with wonderful people. Uh, you know, uh, I, I can't do this on my own. Uh, a, you know, the, a critical lesson that I learned a number of years ago uh, the, the gentleman who founded this business with me, Jim Quant, uh, you know, a mentor of mine, um, <clears throat> has since retired, uh, has sons my age. Uh, and so, you know, I'll, I'll never forget something he told me a number of years ago. And he said, Tommy, if the business is dependent on you, you limit its size to grow. And it was like, you know, again, it, it was hard to hear because I think so many times as leaders, we, we control, we do it our way, we can do it best. And when I really let go and empowered other people around me, that's when I really watched the organization um, grow. And so, you know, the way I'm able to balance is by having a fantastic team that I can rely on, that supports. I have wonderful division presidents in each one of these reasons, a great executive leadership team uh, that supports the business to be able to do what it, it does, you know, to be accessible to them, to drive them, um, and, you know, get results for the, for the business and the shareholders in the business. Um, that is, that's, that's key of having those, those leaders, um, that you can empower, uh, around you because we can't, I can't do it, um, on my own. And when I have that, I can prioritize my time. I can prioritize my time of where they need me when there's a challenge, when there's an opportunity to grow a segment, I can prioritize my time because the fundamentals of the business can be run without me, uh, on, on my own. Um, it's prioritizing my time as well with my family, um, you know, making sure that I, uh, I travel appropriately. Uh, I, I do long days when I go to regions. Uh, you know, I will have a 15-hour day, but I'd rather be at home sleeping in my own bed uh, and waking up to get my boys out the door to school. And so it's really, you know, defining your schedule and then, and then staying true to that schedule because everything else can fit around that schedule uh, if you prioritize uh, and so, you know, there's a finite amount of time you have with your kids. Uh, my, my boys wake up in the morning. They're with me from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. till they go to school. <laughs> and they're awake in the evening after sports from 6 to 8 o'clock. So there's three hours a day that you have. If you can't prioritize three hours out of the 18 that you're awake, <laughs> you just work the other 15 hours when, when it's necessary and prioritize those blocks of time you have with people. So, um, my family is also very supportive and understanding of, you know, what I'm doing. Uh, my wife is a huge supporter. Uh, my boys understand what I'm doing. And, you know, I watch the lessons that they learn. And uh, um, it's funny, somebody asked me about succession planning. And I said, my 10 year old is ready to take over tomorrow. He knows every <laughs> one of them. He's uh, so anyways, but uh, no, it's, I uh, love it. I love it's, it. it's great. You're also one of the most efficient people I know. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm sure your average 12 hours, anybody else's, you know, 24 hour. Um, 
you're you're pretty efficient with your time there's a there's a terrible stat out there the average parent spends 30 minutes a day with their kids wow. so so it's it's great that you're looking at that three hours and really trying to maximize it but it's it's crazy how many people don't think about in in the context but again as a math guy i get how you quantified that you know exactly what you had to do i get it i get it well uh tell me just a couple of fun facts about you uh favorite movie uh, I don't even know. I don't know if I have a favorite movie. I love the Die Hard series. Uh, the I do too. One in the in the tower on Christmas. Yeah, can't. Awesome. I love that one. What about favorite sport? I'm a huge basketball fan. Huge basketball fan. What about um, favorite place to visit? Bora Bora. Bora Bora. Wow, that's a good Un one. It's unbelievable. That's a great one. Uh, do you have a favorite child? <laughs> Kidding you. <laughs> whichever I tell them, I tell them whichever one of them I'm with. <laughs> Who's ever nicest that day, maybe? Exactly. exactly. Uh, well, let's go to uh, Thomas James as a company. What do you think the key things are? Why do you think um, you know your people love Thomas James so much? You have an interesting vibe there. You have great people, smart people. But what do you think the key things are, and why Thomas James Homes? you know, in your mind for your employees? So I think it's really two things that I've heard from our employees. Um, number one, it's the culture, which is how we treat people, how we care about people. Um, you know, you've heard me talk about it today, all the stakeholders, you know, we, we live by three core values at Thomas James. Uh, it's to treat everyone like family, reduce stress on people and build homes as sanctuaries. Those are our three core values as a company. Um, and that goes, again, that touches every constituent in that. And we really try to make decisions as an organization of how we take care of people uh, that impact and are, are involved uh, in our business. And I, I, I try every day uh, to make sure that we are, are doing that because I think that's what attracts people today. I think the second piece in home building generally is it's exciting what we're doing. It's new, it's fresh, it's not the same. Um, I've heard people say what we do is not a grind. It's a grind, but it's a different grind. It's a grind towards something different compared to a grind of competition. Uh, when I think of a market that we're in and compared to, you know, maybe a traditional uh, production home builder, um, we don't have another builder competing for the land supply or the subcontractor base or the customer, right? And right. I look at these production home builders they're all fighting over the same land, the same subs, the same employees, and the same buyers. Uh, and that, that becomes a grind. Uh, and so, you know, you know, pulling, it's a different grind that we have uh, at Thomas James, uh, because when you're doing something new, it's a hard grind uh, to get through, but it's not a competitive grind like you're, you're trying to save the last dollar out of everything because of the amount of competition. Um, and so I think those two aspects of really something unique and exciting in home building paired with our care and value of people um, is what really attracts people to, to join uh, and be a part of Thomas James. You know, it's, it's really funny what I have found with people who are, uh, you know, love what they do and all of that. They're, they tend to want to get up early and they, they work hard and they, they'll even work into the wee hours of the night if they have to because they love it. What, what are the key things in your job that make you want to get up early and give it your all to, you know, those extra hours that you're putting in all that stuff? What makes you tick there? 
Yeah, what makes me tick is the people. Uh, you know, the bigger business I can grow, the more people I can impact. Um, the more realtors, the more contractors, the more employees. That, that's what I'm about. You know, if I can see a difference in people's lives, uh, and the more of those people that I can impact, that's what drives me to get out of bed every day and grow and run this business. I want to make an impact on people. Let me ask you this. Why Thomas James Homes for, and I think I know the answer to this, but it's pretty logical really, but why for the customer? You know, I think for the customer, it's about a confidence that you can, you, you have somebody you can count on in these marketplaces. Uh, you think about teardown housing, uh, you know, in Los Angeles or Silicon Valley, uh, it's generally a, an industry that's a, a very cottage industry supported by small, smaller operators doing a few homes a year. Uh, and I'm sure great businesses that are out there doing it. Um, but a small business is how hard to have confidence in, right? A small business doesn't last the test of time and is a reliable that you can count on for that home. I, I, look, Molly, you know home building for a number of years. We, we deliver 5,000 parts to the front yard. And we have humans show up at different times and assemble them, right? With that comes challenges sometimes in that home. There's warranty issues. There's customer care. Sure. Customers want to have confidence of who they're buying from, that the product that they're buying is a quality product. And if something happens, they can count on the people to come back and take care of it, right? And so I think that's the number one thing uh, for, for these customers. In these scarce markets where there is no housing, they want to buy something, but the investment of this average sales price of $3 million that they're making in their home for their family, it's not an investment of, in a real estate investment. It's an investment in their family of that, that home that they're creating for their family. At the end, they just don't want to have stress in it. They want to have confidence in the builder that they're buying that home from. And so I think that's why uh, people uh, buy from Thomas James. That, it's, it's for consumer confidence from uh, the builder that they can count on uh, in that market. Well, I think the other thing too is you get a AAA location and you get to move into it done as opposed to spending your weekends and managing contractors and still paying more per square foot. It's a nightmare to try to do some of this. Again, somebody who's gone through several remodels. Yeah. Absolutely. I, yeah. Well, and, and, and from okay. that side, Molly, the, the customer that we build homes for. So we also have a, a, um, a big, you know, build on your home site business where we will, uh, have a customer come to the market, you know, in the market that owns a home site and want to build a brand new home. And we'll service that by building them a home and guarantee the time and guarantee the pricing that will deliver that home. So we're trying to take the stress off of somebody that's going through building that home. For those customers, it's about confidence, but it's also about value, right? Okay. It's the value of the quality. It's the value of the reliability of the guarantees that we provide, of the service level we provide. It's really, you know, those are the things that drive that customer confidence in the market uh, because they don't want to stress about having uh, to build a home. I mean, the building a home is an arduous process. Uh, you know, you, you, um, you think about having to first start and hire an architect and find a contractor and a designer and put this whole thing together while you're working a full-time job, managing it on your weekends could take years to do. I mean, I've seen more relationships and families break apart from trying to do that. And so, you know, again, is what we try There's to provide that. that. We, we try to provide that service to people so that they don't have to have that stress to really get what they want, which is a new home in the location they want to be. Well, I've been doing this for a very long time. I've seen a lot of customs and I've seen a lot of remodels 
and they are not very good design <laughs> because you're cobbling stuff together and you guys are experts at this, you know, and the average consumer is not. And so to provide that expertise, I, I, I would imagine is a huge value. Do you have a favorite home that you've designed? Is there one that you just look back at and go, that's always going to be my favorite design? Uh, I, I don't. Um, you know, I, I love the homes. Uh, I could tell you about the people. Oh, that's so cool. I, you know, I could tell you about the people that moved into Bolus uh, with two twin girls uh, when they were two and they emailed me the other day that the girls are now 10 uh, and they're <laughs> looking for a new home to move to because they've outgrown their 2,900 square foot home. Uh, I, could t I could tell you all about the people um, because that's what I remember. Um, it doesn't uh, it, get it, better than that, Tommy. That's homes pretty, the homes. That's, that's pretty awesome. Well, on that note, um, who are the mentors in your life? Who are the people that inspired you? If you were to pick a couple of people that inspired you and, and sort of share the, you know, what are those key ingredients that you sort of picked up from those mentors? Who would they be and what would those be? Uh, so I think my number one mentor is my dad. Uh, you know, my dad uh, pushed me to have these values around people. I watched how my dad took care of people. Um, my dad is a minister. I'm a PK, uh, pastor's awesome. kid. If, uh, and I don't know if you knew that before, Molly, but yes, I'm, I a, did. I, I'm a PK. Uh, and so I watched the way my dad took care of people uh, from a young age. Um, and my dad's been a minister since I was born. And so um, watching that, love of people, caring for other people. Um, I don't know if there's another example of that that I can give that's a bigger mentor to me than my dad. And unconditionally too. Completely unconditionally. That's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. Well, I, I think that's one and done. I think that that's about as great as it gets. That's pretty awesome. Well, thank you. Um, I, I told you at the beginning, you were, you were gonna get the real story uh, today of, uh, of Tommy <laughs> Beetle, so. He did. No, it's, you know, I, I, every time I talk to you, Tommy, I learned something, first of all. Um, and every time I talk to you, you, you're true to your word and you're smart, you're fast. And yet at the same time, you are so personal. And I think those are the qualities that make you who you are. And I think it's why you've uh, at four were successful with bread and <laughs> today are very successful with home building. So I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us. Um, I can't wait to see what is next for Thomas James Homes. I know you're going to continue to grow this business. Uh, and with your kind of leadership, I can't imagine it's going to be anything more than successful. So, Well, thanks. well thank you, Molly. I appreciate you taking the time and uh, inviting me to do this with you. Uh, and I uh, can't wait to see you soon. Okay, thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you again for joining us. This is Molly Carmichael, and I hope you enjoyed this series. Please hit like if you like today's broadcast and subscribe if you'd like to hear more from the best and the brightest in our industry. Take care, everyone, and I hope you join us again next time.